Well, we have been uh, in a series where we have been going over the Lord's Prayer. And the way we got there is starting in the spring, we started moving towards uh, an, a new understanding. Uh, maybe not, it's not new in God's plans, but it, it may be new for the way we approach church. The, reminding ourselves that it, church is not about gathering in a building. The church is not about developing some organization. Church is about joining Jesus Christ in the ministry to reconcile and, and make the world a better place. To reunite, to bring the world back together with God. That we're separated because of sin, we're separated because of our, uh, our own agenda, and through Christ we can bring hope and peace and joy and love to the world. That, that that's what Christianity is about that we're actually supposed to do something with, with this faith, that it's not just a bumper sticker, it's not just a little fish you put on the back of your thing, it's not just a radio station you listen to, it's not just a, a place you go on Sunday morning. It is, it is a life transformational thing that changes everything for you and, and through that relationship with God can change everything around you. And so we've been, we've been pushing towards that and we're, we're looking forward to the fall and and as we, we got ready to shift that gear, we said, if we're going to do this, we need to make sure we, we do it with the right context. And, we, and we, wanted to, we wanted to talk about prayer. Because in the Scriptures, it tells us if we can abide in God, if we can, if we can dwell in His heart, if we, if we can connect with Him in a deep way, it, there's several words that, that the, the texts use to describe that, but if you can, if you can just sort of, you, you know, on a cold winter night, uh, when, you, when you sit on the couch and you just sort of snuggle into a blanket and, and you just feel the warmth, that's how we're supposed to just sort of snuggle into God's heart. And he says, if you can, if you can live there in that snuggled warmth of God's heart and, and abide in him, he says, if, if we can do that on a daily basis, we're going to bear much fruit. God is going to be able to use us. We can, we can be agents of transformation. We can, we can bring hope and peace and joy to those around us. We, we can make a difference. But he says, if, if we try to do it on our own, or if we try to do it without him, we're going to do no good. We're not going to bear any fruit. Our, it, our efforts will be meaningless. And so he said, before we try to focus where we're going as a church, we want to lay the foundation. And prayer is that foundation. That's how we abide in the heart of God. That's how you connect with Him. That's how you snuggle into His heart. That, that is the place where connection happens with God. And as we wanted to talk about prayer, we said, what's the best way to talk about? Well, Jesus instructed people on prayer, and the thing that He used to, to teach Him was the Lord's Prayer. It came out of a question from the disciple, God, or Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? And he, and he used this Lord's Prayer to instruct him. So we're trying to break that down, use it to, to refresh our prayer life, to, to encourage us in our prayer life. And, and, uh, and so that's what we've been doing. We've gone from the opening phrase of our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, reminding ourselves that, that this awesome, almighty all-powerful God that we should fear and tremble in his presence that owes us absolutely nothing has given us the privilege and the honor of being able to come to him in an intimate way, even as intimate as being able to call him father and friend. 
I have to go through it in my mind. Our Father who art in heaven, be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That this all-powerful, almighty God has a plan that's much wiser and much better than ours. That we screw our lives up more than we, we help ourselves out. That we need, to, we need to submit ourselves to his authority, to his wisdom, to his strength. He, he is eternal. We're trying to make life decisions based on the here and now, based on our feelings and circumstances, and instead we should turn it over to an eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful God. Last week we talked about, give us this day our daily bread, and we reminded ourselves that most of our prayers have to do with give us. Give us this, give us that, give us this. And there's nothing wrong with asking God for things. In fact, he encourages us to. You have not because you ask not, he says. Anything asked for in the will of the Father, is the catch for it, in the will of the Father will be given to you. But we don't have to worry about what we bring to him. We can bring to him anything, anything that is on your heart. You can take, you can take to him. You can ask anything. That's the intimacy he offers with the, the, through the Father. Ask me anything. Just understand that sometimes the answer is no. Any of you that grew up with parents that said yes to every single thing you did? If you did, you've been miserable ever since you moved out because life doesn't work that way. And parents, if you're doing that to your kids now, you're, you're ruining them. Never should... Should we get everything we want? We don't know how to make good decisions for ourselves. Sometimes the answer is no, but we are free to bring whatever requests we have to him. But he promises to give us what we need, to give us that daily bread, to give us that, that daily sustenance, to, to be with us each and every step of our journey with him. Today we're going to turn it to something uh, not quite as fun to talk about. And I have to tell you, every time I talk about this, I get accosted as you leave uh, of, you know, that's great church talk, but in real life it doesn't work. And I, 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 I know that I, I hear you, okay? And I'm, I'm, don't tune me out, though. Despite what you might think, just because I'm a preacher doesn't mean I don't deal in real life, Okay? There's been hurt in my life. There's been times when I've been wrong. There have been times when I have wronged others. I, 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 don't, live, I don't live here at the church. I, I interact with people. Actually, I, I get in more trouble at the church than I do out in the world more, <laughs> most of the time. But, but I think what we're we, going to talk about today is not just spiritual talk. What we're going to talk about today is why, why they call the, the, the Bible the good news. It's, it, it's taking what we deal with in the world and showing us how that does not have to be the end of the story. Showing us how even the, the hurt and the pain of this world can be transformed into hope. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The, the phrase we're, we're talking about is, forgive us our sins, or if you're Presbyterian, debts, or if you're Methodist, trespasses, or whatever, but that all has to do with the same idea. Forgive us the things we do wrong as we have forgiven those who have wronged us or sinned against us. 
I want you to see that you've prayed this prayer. Think how many times in your life you have prayed this prayer. I want you to understand what you've been telling God. It might unlock some opening for it. What you have been telling, if, if any English majors here, it, this is called a conditional phrase, okay? This is a conditional phrase saying, we want, God, we want you to forgive us the way we have been forgiving others. It's sort of that golden rule thing that we were talking about with the kid. We want you to treat us the way we have been treating others. And you wondered why your life was so screwed up. <laughs> this is confusing. I thought God loved me. And now he's telling me, now he's telling me that he can't forgive me unless I'm supposed to forgive others. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand that somebody hurt me. They did something wrong to me. I didn't deserve it. I'm the victim here. They, they messed me over, and now he is telling me that I have to do something before he can... Fr Why in the world would God ask us to do that? And this is where the push spark starts happening. So if you're feeling yourself there, number one, you're not special because almost everyone in here has dealt with it at some point in, in their life, okay? But I understand. If you're in the middle of it, this is going to be hard for you to hear. And it's going to be, it, but I want you to, to hang with me. Because if you, can, if you can take the journey that we're about to go on, if you can be, even open your mind this much to it, you could release yourself from some misery and suffering and open the door for, for a new life, okay? But why would God be so in, into this? What, what is with this? I'll forgive you the way you forgive others. That, it sort of grinds against what we think God is about. It's partly because the church has done this terrible job of of teaching about the nature of God. We, we have turned God into this personal, pocket-sized version of Jesus that we can carry around with us. And it's, it's my buddy Jesus. Whenever I need him, he's always there. And, he fit, and, and me and my buddy Jesus, we only, we only interact with each other. You know, you can have your own buddy Jesus, and he, you know, but my buddy Jesus, it's about me and my personal faith. And what other people do, well, that's... We forget that that all throughout the scriptures, God encourages us to be in relationship with one another. God himself, three, peace, three persons, one, one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Even within the Godhead, there is this communication, there is this, this grouping. Even God needs other people. Even God needs, human inter needs interaction. Even God cannot be just alone. Remember what Jesus said when we talk about it all the time, when he said, do you want to sum up a whole law? If you want to put the whole thing of what God expects of you, you can put it into two phrases. Remember what those are? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That that's important. We get that. Okay, yeah, I know. I'm supposed to love God. That's me and my buddy Jesus. We do that all the time. As long as I do that, then I'm... I'm but no, Jesus said that's not enough. Because people are made in the image of God. 
People are the heart of God. They're at the very heart of who He is. They're the apple of His eye. They're the crowning jewel of creation. They, they belong to... He, he has poured Himself into them. And Jesus said, your love for God has to include your love for others. But you have to love your neighbor as yourself. We forget as we do all this thing throughout the many times as the New Testament talks about believers, they talk about them as a body. It doesn't talk about individuals. It talks about a body that we belong together, that we have to get along. We have to learn to, to live with one another. And so part of this comes from this understanding that we can't have a relationship with God when we have junk going on here. Because you can't separate God and people. Not because I'm saying, because that's the way He designed it. That's how important we are to Him. That's the amazing thing about, about the human condition is how important God made human beings. Okay? So the way we relate with one another is important. So important that He says, I'll forgive you in the same way you forgive others. I will treat you the same way you treat others. Now, I know what you're saying. There's somebody, at least one or two of you this morning, and you're saying, you don't get it. It hurt. I didn't do any... They hurt. They left. They took everything I had. They cheated on me. They... They abused. They took advantage. They stole. I get it. I'm not in any way trying to minimize it. I'm just telling you, if, if you stay there, if you stay in the anger and the hurt and resentment, you cannot enjoy the life that God has for you. Think through, uh, however long the hurt has been going on, have you been happy with has it, has it moved you along the path to be angry? Or does it keep you up at night? Or does it make you miserable when, you, when you're alone? There is, a, there is a place beyond the hurt. There's a place beyond the pain. There's a place beyond the abandonment. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. I'm going to use a parable that Jesus said, and it, it, it was given to, 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 to demonstrate what we're going to talk about this morning. And he was talking with his disciples, and Peter, they were having a conversation, and Peter says, hey, Jesus, man, how many times do I have to put up with idiots? How, how many times do I have to let them treat me wrong before I can just be mad at them? I, you know, have you ever wondered that? I, because when we talk to God, we always want to know what's the bottom line, you know. I know I'm supposed to love people. What, at what point can I cross them off my list? And that's sort of what Jesus was, Peter is asking Jesus. And Jesus, So Jesus told him this story. That's what he always did. He told stories to illustrate his point. And he said there was a king, and he had this great kingdom. And within the kingdom, there was a guy who, uh, who had borrowed money from the king and owed him a great debt. I mean, we're talking millions of dollars. And this guy, he, he, had, he, had, 
he had made some bad decisions. He had, he had invested in camel futures and, and sheep futures, and the market just dropped. It, it, it hit the bottom. Then he had done some speculative investing in Israelite housing developments, and, and they, they bottomed out as well. And so he, he gets to the, he cannot pay, not only can he not pay, he can't pay anything. And he owes this huge amount of money. It doesn't matter. Even if he worked every day for the rest of his life for 10 lifetimes, he would never be able to pay it back. And in that culture, he could either be put to death or at least put in prison. And he is miserable. And so he goes before the king and he's like, king, I'm sorry, I... I am not going to be able to pay this debt. I, I hope you won't kill me, but I understand. I'm going to have to spend the rest of my life in prison. And the king looks at him, looks at his books, and says, you know what? Your debt, I'm, I'm erasing it. It's gone. I'm going to pay it. I'll pay all your debtors. I'll, I'll make it right. You owe me nothing. And the guy's like, uh, just don't worry, I have taken care of it. Your debt's gone. Even though you owe me more than you could ever pay, I'm, I'm erasing it. I will pay your debt. Well, the guy is excited. And so he, he races home. It's Thursday night. He goes up to Angels. It's karaoke night. He's having a wonderful time. He goes up. He's singing songs up at Angels, man, just partying, having a great time, telling us, hey, come on, Ooh, it's great. My life has changed he finishes singing a song and he, he walks over to the bar and he sits down and there's a guy that owes him 20 bucks. This scum has, he borrowed that three months ago. He's seen him six times since and he has never paid him his 20 bucks. And the guy sees him and he, hey, where's my 20 bucks? And the guy's like, I'm really sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm having a rough month right now. I, I will get it to you sometime, I promise no, I want my money now. You either give me my money or I'm throwing you in jail. And I, go, I can't do it. And he said, well, then you're in jail. So he has his friend throw him in jail for 20 bucks. News gets back to the king, and the king is furious. And he calls the guy back in, and he said, what are you doing? You owed me a billion dollars, and I wrote it off. And then you went, and you had a guy thrown in jail over 20 bucks. Is that the way you say thank you? If that's the kind of person you are, if that's the kind of character if you, you have, if that's the way you're going to treat other people, then guess what? Your, your debt's back on the books. And we'll see you in, in prison. That's the picture of what Jesus gave us as far as forgiveness. You see, the first thing we have to understand is we have been forgiven a, a great impossible to pay debt. We don't like to talk it in our culture. We don't like the word sin. We don't like about wrongdoing. But you have disappointed God. You are a big disappointment to God. You have not lived up to his standard. You could never live up to his standard. You have hurt him by your lies. You have hurt him by your, by your little bitty lies, by your cheating, by your, your lusty, by everything. We, we, we break his heart every moment of our lives, okay? I don't care how much money you gave in charity. I don't care how much time you spent um, holding hands in a nursery. 
Every single one of us has disappointed God. That's the human condition. It's called sin. And because of that sin, because He is perfect and holy, because He is so, so great and awesome, that has caused a separation. That's the debt that we had. And there was nothing we could ever do to pay that debt off. There was no way we were ever going to be able to reestablish that relationship. There was no, no way we could ever earn it. There was no way we could spend the rest of 12 lifetimes trying to live the perfect, and we would never be able to close that gap. But because God loved us so much, because He cared for us so much, He sent His Son, who said, you know what? I'll pay the debt. I'll pay the price. And because of what Jesus did, we now have the privilege of calling God Father. Have the privilege of saying, give me my daily bread. Have the privilege of being able to come into his presence. We have had this incredible debt canceled. And the picture Jesus draws with this parable is we take this wonderful thing that God has done. We take this big, huge thing. God, the creator of the universe, we have wronged him. And God, the creator of the universe who could snap his fingers and start all over, has forgiven us. And he says, you're, you've been this billion dollar thing and then you're going to hold $20 against the people around you. And you're saying, oh, David, it's much more than 20 Okay, a million. The fact is, if you're honest, maybe you're the victim in this circumstance, but if you're honest, how many times have you been the one that's caused pain for someone else? How many times have you been on the other side? How many times has it been your thoughtlessness that's hurt someone else. The picture that we have is don't take this gift that Jesus has given us and throw it away. The whole opportunity is for us to take what he has done and allow it to transform us and change us so that that overflows into the world. Okay? Now this is where you... This is where, if you're going through this right now, this is where you're kicking back at me. Because you're going, you know, that sounds really great, but there is no way I can forgive. And part of that is because we misunderstand what forgiveness means. We think forgiveness means that we're saying, you know, there's no guilt, there's, a, you know, he wronged me, but it doesn't. No. Forgiveness is not about guilt. Forgiveness is not about establishing whether it was right or wrong. Forgiveness is about us releasing our stranglehold on the person's neck. Okay? It's, if you can picture, if you're, if you're going through this right now, you, the mental picture that does allow you to go to sleep at night is being able to choke the life out of that, whoever did that to you. And you want to just make sure that, oh, and, and you release it every once in a while. So say, can suffer some more so you can just get it. What God is asking us to do is recognize that he's got a plan, that he's bigger than us. 
The promise is that this perfect, all-powerful, all-knowing, loving, just God at some point is going to make everything right. We can't see it now. It doesn't make sense to us. We only have a little perspective on life. He's got the eternal. But at some point, justice will make sense. He will judge the quick and the dead, it said in the, in the Apostles' Creed, if you, if you used to recite that. There will be a time of answering for right and wrong. What God is asking you to do is quit pretending you're Him. He will take care of the right and the wrong. He will, he will the, hold the, the actions of people. He will hold them accountable for their actions. But that's not your job. And if you're honest with yourself, the anger, the resentment, and the, all that kind of stuff, it's only eating you up. It's making you miserable. Even secular psychology, even secular medicine recognizes this. Anger, resentment, hurt, hurts you physically, emotionally, spiritually. It, it will kill you, literally, if you hang on to it. It's amazing how medical science catches up to the Scriptures. But it will kill you if you continue to hang on to it. What this forgiveness we're talking about is releasing your stranglehold on them, turning them over to God. Saying, God forgave me, didn't hold my wrong against me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let God deal with him. And I'm not going to hold the anger and resentment. I'm going to trust God to do his job. I'm going to trust that God really can be trusted. That he will do what he says he's going to do. That he's got a plan bigger than me. That he, Understanding that he loves me, that he loves him, that I don't know how it's going to work out, but I'm going to trust God to do his job. And I'm not going to try to do it for him. Okay? I'm going to give you three practical things. I'm going to do this quickly, and then we're going to celebrate communion. Okay? For those of you that are in the middle of this, and you're saying, I don't see how this is ever going to work, here's three pr practical ideas for you. The first place I want you to start, because what you're thinking is, I cannot even barely say this person's name without wanting to throw up or spit or something, and now you want me to just let them off the hook. God knows exactly how you feel, so be honest with them. God knows exactly what you're going through, so just be honest with them. Go to him and say, you know what? I heard the preacher say this morning, God, that I'm supposed to forgive, but I think that's a bunch of malarkey. And I don't think it's ever going to happen in my life. The way this person hurt me, I cannot imagine ever having it. And so, God, if that is something I'm going to have to do to please you, then you're going to have to do some miracle in my heart and mind to make it happen. So I am, I'm, I'm saying it, I will be willing if you're willing to lead me there. And it's going to have to involve a change in my heart. And it's going to have to involve a change in my thinking. Start there. Start being honest. Secondly, begin to pray for the other person. The person you're mad at. Okay? Again, the prayer might begin. Please give this jerk more jerk friends. So that he might... In see the error of his jerk ways. You know, it would... But there's something that happens in prayer. Prayer is coming to the heart of God. Prayer is coming to the throne of God. 
coming into his presence. And over and over and over in the scriptures, the thing that happens when you bring something into the presence of God, it's transformed. The glory of God, the light of God, the love of God does not allow anything to stay the same in its presence. And if you will be willing to bring that hurt, that resentment, whatever it is, bring it to the throne room. Bring it to the throne. Bring it to the base of the cross. Leave it at Christ. Allow Him to begin to do His grace and mercy and love on it. You know what happens as you begin to pray for somebody? It's hard to hate somebody and pray sincerely for them. It might start there, but as you do it, God transforms you. He transforms the way you think. He transforms the way you feel. And before you know it, it might get to the point where, where you, you don't hate them as bad. Okay? So be honest. Pray for the other person. And then third thing, once you can do those two things, leave the door open for a miracle. Leave the door open for a miracle. That person you don't think you could ever speak to again. That person you don't think God could ever change. That person you think is just, ugh. You don't know what the power of God and the Holy Spirit and love and forgiveness might do. Leave room for a miracle. Because after all, that's exactly what God did for us. Because it makes absolutely no sense that, that a people who turned against him so many times, that a people who hurt him so many times, that a people who ignored him so many times, that just willingly disobeyed him so many times, it is a miracle to think that he would care about him. And not only care about him, but to the point of being willing to die for him. Which is what we're going to celebrate this morning. And the night before Jesus died, he gathered with his friends. He knew what was coming. He wanted to give him some instruction. He wanted.